The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Oh, man, I love this time of year when the pace of events could potentially outpace the show. So we got to get to this New Orleans talk right away here. For the purposes of this, we will assume that they'll have about $21 million in cap space based on the AD trade with the Lakers being consummated as of July 6th, which is to New Orleans' benefit. Some possibility, according to the reporting, that it could be later on July 30th, which would be to the Lakers' benefit, but presumably some additional consideration would have to be provided for that since it will cost New Orleans cap space and the ability to have that number four pick in their program should they keep it. But that's where I want to start here, Danny, is with the possibility that that number four pick can be traded for a veteran generally that pick has been very valuable in past years you recall it got the boston celtics ray allen i would not expect or it was number five that got them ray allen back in 2007 i would not expect that a player of that magnitude would be available for a pick like that but what i want to do here is go through some fake trades that i made up some of which i think are realistic some of which you know may not be but i think are still an interesting thought exercise so uh let's get to it here i'm going to start with bradley beal and washington and most of these to be clear include a conception where new orleans is probably going to have to include solomon hill and each one more going back to whichever team it is maybe they could reroute ball or ingram if they take those players uh into cap space and they're so therefore they could immediately be rerouted there wouldn't be that aggregation restriction on them of two months but we're getting too far afield here bradley beal is a package built around the number four pick just in a vacuum not even considering washington's unsettled management situation at the moment is that enough for bradley beal who has two years left on his contract making the high 20s per year it's a it's a tough call i i think that i'm a little bit lower on beal than some but i don't think that's quite enough however what i think is interesting is depending on how washington is conceiving of this team moving forward post beal should they decide to move on from bradley beal some of the players that new orleans acquired in the davis trade could be desirable i mean brandon ingram could fit in with various conceptions of the team lonzo i mean john wall's basically untradeable for the next couple of years but maybe if they depending on how concerned they are that he will never fully come back from the achilles i wouldn't be that concerned but maybe they have an interest in ball for that reason so i don't think the four is enough and i definitely don't think the four will be enough because the wizards think more highly of beal than i do but maybe especially if like more is included who i think could help them there there is a conception well involving he can't help the four. It, he, more more can't help them 
if they've moved on from Beal, they're just in tanks. They more is useless. Yeah, well, maybe, but maybe another team sees them as a positive value contract and get an asset. You know, so a small thing. But I think the four pick could be a part of a package. But I, I think you would need to add meaningful value to it to be enough. Yeah, and it does seem like certainly New Orleans now has the assets with all those Lakers picks going forward. Lonzo Ingram, they have the ability to put together an overwhelming package. Does that make sense? I personally don't believe so. In part due to lack of information, you don't know what Lonzo Ball is. You don't know what Zion Williamson is. You, you don't know what Brandon Ingram is. Those are the, in theory, the young building blocks that you have at this point. And Drew Holiday, for all of his brilliance, had a career year these last couple of years. He's got three years left on his deal, but his star is higher now than it ever would be. I mean, I, I would be rather than trying to build with this team and win now, I would be trying to move Holiday and pick up more assets and build around Zion in the longer term, and perhaps Lonzo and Ingram as well. Beal. The nice thing about him is he is a really good fit, but I think you'd just be shooting it a little bit too early here before you just have no idea what you have. You have no idea what these guys look like in this system. How's Lions, or Zion's jumper coming along, Lonzo's, Ingram's. A, a lot of concerns there uh, to me. And so it wouldn't make that much sense to me. And then you throw in Washington's unsettled management situation. They supposedly were making an offer to Masai Ujiri. Now Candace Buckner reporting that maybe they won't do that. That could just be semantics if Ujiri has let them know through back channels that he's not really that interested. So they, they want to avoid the optics of having officially made an offer. Certainly there was interest or they wouldn't have waited another month after getting shot down by Tim Connolly. So I don't think the Beal thing is going to happen. The only exception kind of note that I would make there, and you talked about kind of the synergy of timing and all that kind of stuff, would be if for whatever reason Bradley Beal showed an interest in playing for the Pelicans, you know, if they if they were able to mitigate some of the risk that he was just going to leave in two years, yeah. then they could extend there. him like a normal yeah. extension. They couldn't do the designated veteran extension, but he'd be eligible to just sign a three-year extension at the max right now. I mean, it may not be attractive to him, but yeah, if you were willing to sign that, then you might think about it more seriously but to throw in what is but i I just don't think washington can get their shit together to make a decision i if i were washington i would be very interested in trading bradley peel right now right and and i think you and i are both a little bit higher on darius garland and some of the other options that are available at four than maybe the league in the aggregate is so that that also strengthens the the theoretical package as well Okay, here's one that I think uh, is going to be interesting to you. Number four, each one more, Solomon Hill for Miles Turner. Huh, so the idea for the Pacers then, I mean, they have this kind of timing identity challenge in front of them they have turner and and oladipo on what look like team-friendly contracts we'll see what oladipo looks like but they also have you know a bunch of uncertainty with thad young and bodanovich the the idea being that they're they're committing to sabonis as their center of the as their center of the future than turner uh, and 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 they would draft one of the point guards the idea would presumably be the, yeah, that then they could use some of their financial resources to go after a wing now who that player is who would say yes to them. Ah, I don't think I'd do that. And part of it is just because I'm less sold on Sabonis as being a center of the future of them. And I like Turner on his contract. It is. I, I do think, though, that that's an, a really, a really interesting concept. And. I am a firm believer that other than maybe like three or four players in the league, nobody is nobody should be marked as untouchable. And I would worry that maybe Miles Turner, after the really strong year that he had, would be seen that way. So yeah, it's it's an interesting idea, but I don't think I'm quite there. 
Yeah, for New Orleans, the idea would be Turner's shooting and rim protection would be a really nice fit towards Zion. You just play Zion. Yeah, then you don't. You basically the the questions about Zion defensively become less of a concern if you get one of those four spacing fives. Yeah, you play Miles Turner the same way Milwaukee played Brook Lopez last year. Turner might be even better defensively than Lopez. Well, and Alvin Gentry's system, like maybe they could be betting that that Turner is actually an underutilized resource offensively, and that they would be yeah. have some unrecoup value there. Yeah, and they'd use him like Channing Fry on offense, who was a, a gentry stalwart back in the day in Phoenix. Yeah, I, I think that one's okay. I, you know, a lot of it depends on what you think of number four. I think Darius Garland to me would be a pretty solid fit. Help with the point guard problems in Indiana. Give them some more scoring. You know, they need one more dynamic scorer off the dribble. If they lose Bogdanovich, it's not as big of a deal then as well. But I agree with you. I'm not sold on Sabonis necessarily as the starter. Uh, but that, that's an interesting one. Pretty much straight up for Lowry Markkinen. I think I like Markkinen more than than the fourth pick in this draft. He still has a lot of potential. I mean, we, he's been hot and cold, and I think sometimes, especially with, like, let's say Bulls partisans, they can see the hot and ignore the cold as just being, you know, oh, it's a young guy who's going to get better, and I'm a little bit more concerned than that. But in this draft, there isn't somebody that I really trust as, as much as him. And I mean... <sighs> Especially because the kind of power forward that Markkinen is, I think actually is somewhat hard to find. You know, it's not, it's like if he can be starting caliber and kind of the other important elements, and I, I think Markkinen can get there. So it's, you know, I could see a front office who felt differently about him, in meaning Chicago, like being more amenable to this sort of contract, but I, I, it's not quite there for me. And and also from New Orleans perspective, I don't love the Zion marketing combination. I think there's just too much downside risk that like if it doesn't work, then it becomes a pretty big problem. And then that becomes you have to move marketing because you're not going to move Zion Williamson. Yeah, defensively, I guess you'd be thinking that they would be able to do some switching or, or some more mobile pick-and-roll schemes. And offensively, obviously, I think it, it would work fantastically well. Danilo Gallinari and Lou Williams from the Clippers. And this would be include Solomon Hill and Etuan Moore. Remember, Solomon Hill is negative value here. So you're getting off him. Gallinari, just as a reminder, he's got about $22 million this next year. Then he becomes a free agent. Lou Williams has... Two years left at eight million. Second year is only one point five million dollars guaranteed. It's exactly the type of trade I would be scared about a different Pelicans management group making because there is, you know, it would make them better, but I think it would make them better in an ephemeral way because Gallinari is a pending unrestricted free agent. They'd make the playoffs this year, probably. It's going to be a really strong West, even with the Warriors being diminished. I mean, that's Holiday, Lou Williams. A Zion. Rookie, you're starting a rookie at the big at one big spot and then the other kind of forward spot is still up in the air yeah it, it, i, I would be fun that's for that. damn sure i mean they'd be a really yeah. a really fun team but but i mean gallo pending unrestricted free agent has no connection to that organization and after uh having yeah a, he, he won't be interested in right I'm exactly sure so so uh, then it's it's a rental you're giving up the fourth pick in for a the one of the key pieces is a rental and the other guy is too old to be hugely beneficial at the time that actually matters more so that's exactly why it's a it's yeah. a trade that would concern me but i don't think david griffin's gonna make it so i i think the way it would have to happen is if gallo were wanted to extend 
which he's actually be eligible to do uh, in June. Yeah, and his July, and his numbers are high enough that you could like that you could do an extension. Like theoretically, if you were willing to do it at a, at a more reasonable number, you know, like this isn't a circumstance where you know, like it's just it's just hard to do. I actually think it's possible with him, but I don't expect it. Okay, how about this one to the Miami Heat again, including more and. Hill, maybe just Hill. You, maybe you could just sign number four and then just include Hill in this, not include more if you want to keep more. Who really had all these leg problems? He's actually a good player. It was playing well last year until he started uh, getting hurt. To Miami for Josh Richardson and Kelly Olynyk. Uh, you know I love Josh. So let's let's look at their contracts because I think that's an an important part of this to to paint that picture. So moving so 1920 you would have Olenek under contract for 13.1 and then you'd have a player option for 13.6 the assumption always is that a player option is disadvantageous to their current to the team because assume they'll make the correct decision not always true and then Josh Richardson has two years about 21 million combined for those two years and then a player option which I assume he's going to decline unless something terrible happens for 21.22 worth because it's worth 11.6 again I think this is a little bit too short cited they would have full bird rights on richardson after that but and and i mean the the idea of richardson and holiday just being attack dogs on the perimeter defensively is really interesting also i think richardson would be in a better ecosystem for him offensively than the heat have provided just due to some of the just idiosyncrasies with their lineup so I love Josh and and Olenek would be like I, I like the idea for the Pelicans in these first couple of years of getting a couple of different types of bigs to pair with Zion and just seeing what works and Olenek would be one of those you know like he can space the floor yeah. not great not great defensively like I like that idea but I don't think this is enough for for me to do it but it's it's an interesting conception to be sure yeah that's uh... And the problem with Richardson too is you, he probably doesn't make enough now that he would agree to an extension. So you wouldn't be able to build enough there. Now you could actually, you could do a renegotiate and extend for him. That actually might be a possibility to make this more palatable if you're New Orleans. They would still have some space to work with. Uh, you could do that either. You could do that next year. That might be a possibility. But yeah, I think that's another one where you would have to have some understanding that he would want to stick around. I, I agree with you. To the Orlando Magic for either John Isaac and Mo Bamba or Aaron Gordon and Mo Bamba. Huh. Okay. So this. So in this case, you're not checking the age curve as much because even though Aaron Gordon's on a second NBA contract, he's still pretty damn young. Gordon. Yeah, he's got three years left declining. Yeah, he, three years left declining. So he. It's. Uh, 55 million about for three years but it's less each year which is which is beneficial for the pelicans yeah and isaac i really like him but having a really low usage center next to zion i mean i and and especially because i've said before every isaac jump shot to me looks like it's gonna miss even though some of them of course do go in that (laughs) would be challenging next next to him i mean the defensive ceiling of that pairing is is really tantalizing to me just because like if they figure it out you have a weak side guy you have an interesting kind of strong side type of player with the modern nba just betting that there aren't going to be as many of those bully bigs that can survive on the floor and and then gordon i mean more of a kind of like you thinking of zion as a straight five type of an idea though gordon you know gordon has played a fair amount of the three in orlando i still don't think that's his best fit positionally yeah i mean i i don't think i i don't think i love it enough 
from I, I I wonder if Orlando would do it. Yeah, that this is possibly one of those conceptions that neither team would accept just because yeah. of the evaluation of the two players and where they are and everything. An interesting part of this from Orlando's perspective is and this will tie in with a piece of news that 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 we'll talk about later is a move involving like so if if this were an Aaron Gordon trade, one of the benefits for them would be if they chose to be a cap space team, they would actually have the ability to go to go a little bit bigger in free agency, but I have no idea who they'd be targeting in that circumstance. All right, here's a quick one that I'll just dismiss on my own. CJ McCollum especially considering that the players available at number four probably the best ones are at cj's position again I, we're not or as david high lord's on, position yeah yeah i mean we're not we're not as high on culver i mean you're, you're kind of hoping that darius garland turns into cj mccollum if you're lucky so yeah uh, and, 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 and they can't take a step back so so let's just forget about that one let's yeah just, let's i agree with you uh the sacramento kings for some combination of buddy healed bogdan bogdanovich Nemanja Bialica, basically any anyone who's not De'Aaron Fox or Marvin Bagley. So I really like the idea of a Buddy Heald return trade. I think that's that's interesting, and and Heald is you know he he could fit with with certain and he's aged an extra year in the years he's been away from New Orleans. So I guess that's I don't know if that's given him more insight into everything, but. <laughs> But I, I think one of the big concerns here from New Orleans' perspective, and this is something I, I talked about actually in my real GM, or sorry, in my sorry old habits, in my athletic piece about the Anthony Davis trade, this actually ratchets up a weird component of this of the Davis trade where you, they'd have so many pending restricted free agents. And so that leads to higher cap holds and just less flexibility. I like Bogdanovich. I healed. I like a lot more now than I did before. But for, also from Sacramento's perspective, I don't know exactly who they would be targeting there to say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna give one of those guys up. Now, I am a believer that if you aren't sold on a guy, trading them the year before they're gonna get their new contract is exactly when to do it. So if they are, you know, kind of of my mind where you probably don't want both of those guys together unless they take really cheap deals, like unless one of them takes like backup money. So I, I'm intrigued by it as a value from a value perspective, from Sacramento's perspective, but I don't particularly love it from New Orleans just because they're not the right type of asset. They're about to get properly paid and neither one of them is like a max guy who's going to get undervalued. And we've talked before that you're, you're more bullish than I am that the 2020 market is going to have a lot of money in it, but I could easily see those guys getting properly paid in restricted free agency. Just using the fucking pick. This is one of my favorite options. Honestly, it is. And and I... I <laughs> Me too. Best, as you might best be able player, to tell. Best player mind. available. That I think that as of who we've seen so far, that's probably going to be Darius Garland. And Garland is a, is a worthy pick there. It's not like New Orleans has a point guard of the future locked in already. And... Well, I mean, you I, could say that's Lonzo, but but yeah, I, I, I like I a three-guard yeah. I I like three rotation with Garland and Ball and, and Holiday sure. for now. And Garland is, to me, exactly what you need around Zion. He, he provides premium shooting at the point guard spot, which you're just going to have to have, I think. And there's not that many great shooters at the point guard spot if you go through well, the NBA and rosters right now. Beyond that, I really like the idea of having a confident, ideally he'll make a lot of them, pull-up jump shooter running pick and roll with Zion like because I we both think Zion can initiate a fair amount of actions but the point guard in that you want him to have a, a a really quick trigger because then that changes the way defenders have to think about the action because all of a sudden then you're like oh well shit if we can't leave that guy open then how do you defend Zion if he's rolling to the basket and it gets like it becomes more of a panic situation and so I actually think there's a there's a some real potential there with Garland specifically that would not be there with let's say Kobe White you and I had a discussion about the valuing of those two guys for New Orleans specifically I would have 
Garland much higher than Kobe White. Yeah, I mean, I, I like White pushing the ball in transition, though. I mean, they've got Lonzo maybe to do that, too. But you know, either of those guys, I think, you know, White is, is uh, I mean, I think those guys are somewhat similar in my mind. So I think he, he would even be decent there as as well. But I, I, I do think, you know, just the superior ISO scoring package that Garland, in theory, brings is what separates those two. Um, all right, let's take a quick break, and then we'll get back to talking about some of the other things they can do besides the, that number four pick. One of the most most awesome things maybe the most awesome thing about working from home is i can dress in athletic gear all day and roan is the best that i have encountered i've got their rain long sleeve and aruba blue heather one of my wife's favorite colors always the first long sleeve shirt that i take out of the wash and then their courtside quarter zip really nice pullover style athletic gear for when it's a little bit colder especially if i work out in the mornings i got i got this home gym that i put together in my shed but it's not heated so it's nice to have a a little more coverage before i get warmed up soft breeze really easily as well and i mentioned that you know i get to be at home and wear athletic gear all day well even if you don't work from home their amazing new commuter collection looks great for the office but is just as comfortable as their athletic gear whether it's for the office long flights your commutes whatever it is the commuter collection is the performance alternative to everyday workwear they offer everything pants polos shorts shirts all lightweight all comfortable and all wrinkle free which for some of the guys who listen to this program is certainly a, a big appeal it's good for all weather from a weekday in the workplace to a weekend barbecue. Go to Rhone.com, the most underrated river in Europe, by the way. R-H-O-N-E, Rhone.com slash Capspace today and use the promo code Capspace. Should be easier than ever to remember because we're doing all these uh, off-season look-aheads here and talking about Capspace. Rhone.com slash Capspace to use the promo code Capspace to get 20% off your first purchase. That's Rhone.com slash Capspace. Use that Capspace code, get 20% off your first purchase. And of course, let them know that you came from us. So before we get get on to the other stuff, can we take a quick beat to just run through their pending free agents and decisions they have to make? Just because I think we'll forget because there's so much else to talk about with the Pels. Of course. So Julius Randle just declined his player option, so he will be unrestricted with non-bird rights. Alfred Payton, unrestricted non-bird. Darius Miller, unrestricted full bird. Ian Clark, unrestricted early bird. Then I assume they're going to not make a qualifying offer on Stanley Johnson because why would they? So he'll be unrestricted and probably gone. Shake Diallo restricted full bird rights low cap hold i expect that unless somebody's unreasonable with him that that diallo will be back then they have three non-guarantees okafor is actually julia okafor is a team option and non-guaranteed then christian wood and darius bertans they're just straight non-guarantees but both of them have late guarantee dates so the pals can figure out where things are before they make a decision with those gentlemen then they also have partial guarantees about a half guarantee actually it's about a third guarantee for frank jackson who is just really been injury saddled a lot the first two years of his career and then kenrich williams who was a breakout really i I would say last year and um and so we'll see what happens with both of those guys yeah you'd imagine uh, bertans maybe you could see him getting non-guaranteed eventually to create a little more space but they're probably not going to be a situation where they need that especially because again remember if you move his 1.4 million off the books you only reap 500,000 in savings there because it, there's a cap hold of a little more than 900,000 that takes his place when you get 
to under 12 players under contract or cap holds. Oh, one small correction. Uh, Williams is actually non-guaranteed until July 20th, then partially guaranteed. I, I had marked it as a as a straight partial guarantee, but he's not technically there yet. Yeah, Okafor, they have that team option. I mean, he was okay last year. I don't I don't really care for the fit with, with Zion. I wouldn't spend a roster spot on him, to be honest. Uh, just not that he was so terrible last year, but he just doesn't fit with what they're trying to do going forward here. Christian Wood was good. I would expect they would, would end up keeping him uh, around. He doesn't guarantee until the first day of the regular season. Uh, Jackson, athletic, really only finished his first year so they used the number 31 pick on him a couple years ago you you would uh imagine that he'll be sticking around especially because he has a 500,000 guarantee at least that's how i have it written down here um so you know that that still is not going to reduce their cap space that much and also worth noting that uh, Okafor, I guess uh, they will pick him up because he's only 54000 guaranteed until, sorry if you said that already, until the league-wide cut-down date in January. So you might as well pick up the team option and pay him the fifty four k guaranteed to keep him around. Uh, it would be pretty and, and damn bad if that 54000 ended up battering. Especially, but Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, if it does, uh, you know. You could I'm trade sure it. could figure out a way to, to move him. So let's kind of just run through and see, I mean, who the hell is on this team now at this point in time and take a look at what their team needs are going to be. I think you've got Lonzo and Holiday probably starting together in the backcourt. Ingram, maybe he's your starting three, maybe he's your starting four. Probably your starting three. They don't really have anyone there. Zion is your starting four or five. I'm, I'm assuming they're going to just start with him at the four. They really got nothing at center right now. I mean, Wood is is probably, I don't know if he's your incumbent starter. And he actually can shoot a little bit. He's not a terrible fit with Zion, but you know, you, you probably need some a little more defensive intelligence there. You, you don't want to throw Zion to the Wolves as a starting center in the NBA right away. That's that's just asking too much. So with their $20 million in cap space, I mean, they still got some stuff to, to fill out they've got Etoan Moore they've got Solomon Hill maybe you could play a little bit of four but you probably your biggest needs here are just overall shooting I think a stretch five is probably your biggest need and then someone who can shoot the ball uh, at the three or maybe as a four who could then play with Zion when you want to play him in the small ball center so it seems like so so that's that's one way to look at it is hey what do they need right now but another way to look at it is let's just go get the best guy available who we think is going to fit in a, in a couple of years, let's spend a four-year contract, get someone that we think is going to be good, a, a good, solid vet, keep that guy around, plan on keeping him around for a while. You know, maybe that's more likely on the wing where you don't know how Ingram's going to work out. You don't know how Ball's going to work out. Drew might not be there anymore. All of this depends, too, on who they draft. Uh, you know, if they draft Jarrett Culver, uh, you know, they're probably going to look even more towards big. But so those are kind of your two ways. And then the third way you could go is just taking on bad money as well for, for future assets. But they've uh, got a few of those in the future <laughs> already. They do. But I could see that, especially with just how much money is out there on the market. I, I you know, there will be values, but I'm not sure there will be values at necessarily what New Orleans wants. You talked about that idea of a long term contract, somebody who can grow with whatever young guys are still on the team at that juncture. I, I think that's a sound idea. And New Orleans, depending on those kind of values, could end up being one of the teams, we brought up a few different options here, including the Phoenix Suns, Chicago Bulls, of teams that could be restricted free agent offer sheet destinations. Like, I could see them... I, I would be really interested, even though he's a little bit older at 27 in Maxi Kleba, just as white. I talked about the, the Olenek archetype. 
Kleba would be fascinating there. I also th- I like Kleba's defense potential more than yeah. Linux by me. Yeah, and, and Kleba can't necessarily you know we'll have to see what he looks like in more minutes as a real starter. But you know you could bring him off the bench, play him next to Zion or a traditional center. Sure, uh, that versatility would be nice. Yeah, so I think he would be a good fit. I the wing the wing list is just kind of weird in terms of where New Orleans is going. Like that kind of like four spacing combo forward type of guy, just because Ingram Ingram's weird because he has a lot of defensive potential, but he doesn't play with enough force to think, oh, he's going to be our forward yeah. stopper. He, he's really better on the perimeter, I think. Defensively, I think he's much better as a three than a four. Agreed. His help his help defense has just never gotten to where I think it could. But maybe with Gentry, maybe with a different coaching staff, I mean, he's had had Walton as a defensive coach. So it's not like he's been like underutil, like underutilized in that sense. So I, I don't know like who, I mean, Marcus Morris would be interesting. His brother was technically on the Pelicans last year. Twin. <laughs> yeah, they, um, they bought him out immediately. Yeah, who do you like? I mean, I, I mean, they're they're just I, I, there aren't that many players that just scream like great fit to me, especially considering the age concerns. Because something that is just important to emphasize just over and over again is that it is exceedingly rare for young players to be unrestricted free agents. Yeah, the best restricted guys are, are really point guard and shooting guard, and in theory, they have those uh, positions covered, especially if they go ahead and draft uh, a Garland uh, or a White. If if they draft Culver, again, I'm not a believer in Culver, or maybe, you know, DeAndre Hunter, one of these other wing combo forward types that, that are going to be around it in that range, you know, maybe that changes their thinking as well. I do think whoever they do get, you probably want to go a three-year deal. The idea being that that guy's contract would expire probably when they're aging out. Uh, of being a a starting quality player right around when you still got zion the summer before zion gets a big raise uh and so you can then get back into the cap space derby the year before zion would get a big raise now is this team going to pay the tax maybe not you've got all those concerns but you know that's a thought as well uh you know, Bogdanovich would be an interesting one. I think I, I like his fit reasonably well next to Ingram. Bogdanovich is strong enough that he can guard some fours, I think. Those guys can switch off defensive assignments if you're going to go with Zion at center more. Now, can you sell Bogdanovich on potentially not starting or Ingram's going to have to come off the bench? I mean, that's, that's what's kind of difficult. I mean, in, in theory, you've got one through four taken care of in the starting lineup, but you also don't have near enough shooting with that group and so then you get into a center obviously brooke lopez would be an outstanding fit uh, with what they're doing i don't know if he uh, and that he could be an option for above the non-taxpayer mid-level that is going to be all that milwaukee can likely offer Dwayne Dedman could be an interesting one here as well with some of his shooting ability. I think you still even need better shooting than that. But I mean, other than Brooke Lopez, you don't really have any like big time threat centers. And of course, this is where it comes now. The difficulty that the Lakers have had in building around Lonzo and Ingram is when you have a, a guard and a three who can't shoot three pointers. And now Zion can't is not going to be able to shoot the NBA three right away either, in my opinion. So now you're, you're in trouble. You're going to have to run all the time. And they, they may look a lot kind of like the Lakers did last year where it's getting everything at the rim and the shooting is a big issue so i mean if your sole goal is to try to get someone who realistically is going to help you next year and you don't want to play zion at center 
you know, Brooke Lopez is pretty clear. The guy, Al Horford would be another one. Uh, but you know, I don't think he wants to go to New Orleans necessarily. You would imagine he'd stay in Boston or or go to a team that that's more of a contender. Right, um, and and at thirty three, he can provide value certainly over the next couple of years. But he's not somebody who will age with this core. Even though I think Horford could age better yeah. than most guys, you know, at his stage in his career. Yeah. So I do think just bringing in some fours who can play. Your Jamichael Green, you mentioned Marcus Morris, and can shoot the ball. Mike Scott would. Be be an okay fit as a bench guy so would jared dudley I, I think they would he has the connection with both gentry and david griffin from the phoenix days can shoot the ball smart guy good veteran mentor in the locker room in theory i could see anthony tolliver being brought in under similar pretenses as dudley you know again this is much lower level now maybe more room exception type of guys they also do have the option of stretching solomon hill if they really find someone that they like getting up to almost 28 million in cat space that could be enough for a max for a restricted free agent and certainly one more shooter on the guard line as well a terrence ross type a lot of those like really good shooter bomber types you know i don't think jj reddick would be interested in i'd be very interested to see what players think of new orleans now after ad left there chris paul left there eric gordon famously didn't want to be there but now they have a, a better organization better training staff they've got zion they've got all these other young guys is that going to be appealing to free agents or is it just going to be about the money I, I, i'm really not sure uh, but i suspect that it's going to take them some time to change the opinion i don't think like people don't want to go and play with rookies like big star rookies like those players don't win and i'd be very interested to see what the pels look like next year in terms of actually winning games uh, i mean they're going to have a lot of talent and they're going to be fun but are they going to be able to shoot and defend it will be an interesting question probably defend more than shoot well and that gets into what i think is a, a challenge that david griffin gets to deal with is you know depending on what happens with brandon ingram but I mean, beyond whether he's on the team or not, but also like what his theoretical contract value is for the 2021 season when he will be on his new deal, whether that's an extension or not. But as a practical matter, the way I'm thinking of it is if they don't spend the money this year or more accurately, if they spend it, but don't sign a long-term contracts, they can get into the market in 2020. And while that is an uninspiring group, they can probably move higher in the pecking order. And so maybe they can just do more with the money that is available at that juncture and it's a sliding scale you know like where where that line is going to be for new orleans and it depends on who is interested in their money this year and what offers are available for them to to take on money and then the other thing to remember here for new orleans in terms of 2020 is the distinct possibility that my theory is maybe it would happen at the trade deadline or next offseason that maybe they decide hey this is going to take a little bit longer and then move move on from drew holiday and holiday makes 26 million next season meaning the 2020 season so then you could start to get into more cap space or you could push the can down the road another year or two so there is a little bit of flexibility here if the right players don't say yes one other uh old friend nicola miritich yes an interesting one. well i also thought of old friend trevor reza yeah maybe not quite as good of a shooter uh i mean yeah. they really they really gotta get an absolute bomber at the four and five uh and miritich is probably one of the best miritich and lopez coincidentally both guys coming from the bucks are really the two that you look at where you're like okay we this is a guy that we just cannot leave out here oh i have a stray thought so i thought of him briefly as a backup center option but 
Nerland's Noel, actually, we could potentially, especially because of the connection, see Nerland's Noel and Anthony Davis finally play together, this time, though, as a Laker, because if those who remember, the Pelicans, then Hornets, I believe, no, it was probably Pelicans at that time, drafted Noel, but then traded him for Drew Holiday. One more I might consider, this is very low down the pecking order, is Dragon Bender. His shooting and passing ability from the elbow on, like, little duck-ins for Zion. You know, I'd love to see, for example, them run a bunch of plays where a small screens for Zion out of the corner. You know, that George Hill, Kevin Love play. Raptors did some of that for Kawhi, where you just got this huge guy getting screened out of the corner with a small, like, right into deep post position. Uh, And maybe Bender could facilitate a little bit and fit into the switching. I mean, he wasn't that good as a switch guy. His shooting abandoned him last year, but he he might be someone that they they could look at a little bit as a possible reclamation project. I mean, probably not going to work out. Probably not very good, but I think he, he could be a good fit. Uh, anything so, else on these guys? Uh, yes, yeah, so there's something else I want to mention, which is I don't know who of the the players. I mean, you can talk about the picks too, but the players that the Pelicans acquired, David Griffin sees as long term parts of this team. I mean, Ingram, Ball, Hart, all talented guys, all players that could fit in depending on what vision Griffin has for the team, and also what options are available in free agency and trades. And I wouldn't be surprised to see some, probably not all, but some of them moved before the end of the offseason, maybe even before July 1st. Yeah, it does seem like those players have been acquired at the nadir of their value. Right, and that and that's a, the other point I wanted to bring up here after we go through this. Yeah, it is just that they, you might as well just keep them around and try and rehab them uh, in terms of their value and also their physical maladies frankly and they still got josh hart involved too here you know we haven't mentioned his name much yet so maybe not at all so he could also fit in to this group uh, as i think he could be a long-term starter of the two for them yeah absolutely and so you know it is in some ways everything would fit better if they just moved holiday (laughs) but but uh because they just especially if they're gonna just use the number four pick as well but to me all of these guys are such unique players that you just gotta figure out what these guys can actually do and figure as zion in particular i mean really figure out what he's gonna do better as a four as a five they'll try him some as a five to be sure they're not gonna want him starting there i'm sure okay so we done with these guys here uh oh a couple other things or one other thing uh alvin gentry they malik andrews reported today that they have picked up his option for the 2021 season so he will not be a a lame duck now and griffin obviously has a lot of respect to, for what gentry did back in his phoenix days and, and as we've said i think gentry is a very good fit for what they're trying to do here all right should we get some news yeah let's do it i'm trying to figure out there there are lots of interesting avenues but there isn't to me necessarily a clear-cut front runner do you think do you disagree with me oh it's clearly Lamelo ball signing with the illawarra hawks of the australian nbl uh and he is, is taking advantage of i forget the exact name of the program it's like designated player it's the rising stars like rising stars thank you uh he's joining rj hampton who, who's a top 10 recruit this year lamella a little bit lower than that but good to see these guys finding a way to get paid and hopefully the season ends pretty early on as we saw with andrew bogut coming back this year so they've got plenty of time to get back into draft prep mode and hopefully these guys will, will get a chance we've explained before how the mechanics of the nba buyout that they can pay to overseas teams uh, ends up making this profitable for both the players and the teams we'll see whether the nba looks to close that loophole in the next cba now because they are doesn't seem like they are getting taken advantage of uh, a little bit it, it, it's also a pretty big signal of the failure of the g league to 
to not be able to handle this sort of thing. And I think both Ball and Hampton made the right decision for them. But yeah. that the, that there isn't a way to keep those players in the U.S. if they don't want to go to college is well, pretty. Bad. Well, they are. They do have this thing now where they offer the one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. Be interested to know why it is that teams find Australia to be or a little bit more conducive to their development than the G League. I mean, I think the fewer games is probably good, frankly, uh, and you know, not as miserable a travel. And it's also summer down there, which is nice uh, in our winter. Boston and the tea leaves have not been good on Kyrie Irving returning for some time, but additional reporting confirming that Woj said on SportsCenter that the Celtics are almost to the point of resignation that Kyrie is going to leave. Shams reporting that they are potentially going to meet with Kyrie before the draft as both sides could look for clarity. And uh, I don't know why Kyrie needs clarity. It sounds like he's a pretty good idea of what he's going to do. And then Woj also saying that the Celtics are looking to move at least one of the three first round picks that they have this year as a reminder those are 14 20 and 22 the kings clippers and their own first round pick chicago uh casey johnson had reported around the time of the combine that it was believed that kobe white had a promise above the bulls most likely meaning phoenix now johnson saying that that talk uh, has died down and that it was uh in fact phoenix uh, that he was believed to have been promised by I thought you were going to go from Kyrie Irving's current team to his presumptive next team. And oh, yes. The Nets made a, 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 a not that surprising move, but still, you know, notable in that they, they are not making Rondé Hollis Jefferson a qualifying offer. So that removes, in all likelihood, his $7.4 million cap hold from the books. It was a $3.6 million qualifying offer. They might have been concerned that he was going to sign it. Brooklyn might need all the space they can get. So pretty good for Rondé to, after, after a season that I, I would say is disappointing, to be an unrestricted free agent from the jump so now he can look and find the best situation for him yeah it was tough for Rondé because he really is more of a four defensively they tried playing him at the four but they just couldn't do it offensively they needed to have more shooting he couldn't play with Jared Allen in particular and so he really only was able to find a niche there as a super small ball five which he did in a couple of memorable comebacks that they had but I think moving on to a, a team that doesn't prize space as much would make more sense for Rondé. Brian Windhorst reporting that Golden State still playing to offer the five-year max to Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson. Uh, despite their devastating injuries, maybe you would have thought that they would have a, a little bit of trepidation there, but no, they are going to still offer that. And if both of them take it, they will have uh, quite the tax bill for a team that uh, might even be uh, outside of the playoffs next year, depending on when those guys come back. And of course, you know, we'll see whether where KD decides he, he wants to sign. Tim McMahon out of Houston, a piece crystallizing some of the issues that have come out of Houston. Some of the biggest nuggets, I encourage you guys to read it. And yes, all you Houstoners who continue to declare that no Tillman Fertitta is a great owner and he'll he's willing to pay the tax anytime uh you know you get a few more tidbits I've heard a lot more tidbits behind the scenes as well to indicate that uh he may not be the most stable uh and some nuggets to that point Fertitta apparently complaining both within the organization and to other owners or executives about Chris Paul's contract and then some more window into the tension between Chris Paul and James Harden that Chris Paul wants more ball movement he's not as good at the ISO stuff as he was last year James Harden is sick of being coached by Chris Paul and he generally goes with the flow but 
then uh, has actually gotten to the point where he's had to bite back uh, against Chris Paul. And then there is the claim, I mean, it sounds like McMahon like sat down with Maury and a bunch of Rockets executives, including Fertitta, for an interview. But supposedly the claim was that Daryl Maury was behind these changes in the coaching staff. I'm still not sure that I buy that, frankly, uh, although there was a, another local reporter out of Houston who had that as well, a, a TV guy there. And still with D'Antoni, they have not agreed on a contract extension. You'll recall that Fertitta fudged the details of the contract extension offer, which is also highly irregular for him to even publicize that. And then they thought they had a handshake deal with Mike D'Antoni, but Mike is kind of an easygoing guy. And, you know, you probably just a good bit of advice. Don't try and go around Warren Legary. It's not going to work. Uh, so they still haven't come to any kind of agreement there. And then there's the issue of getting good assistance when D'Antoni doesn't have an extension. Why is anyone going to want to come there when D'Antoni could be out of there in a year? So a lot of issues in Houston. And, and then they're finally uh, also supposed to be shopping CP and Capella, you know, confirming that some earlier reports that a lot of guys are on the table there potentially although what their value is remains to be seen well and and one point there my expectation would be that if the Rockets traded either Chris Paul or Clint Capella it would not be making their team better in the near term maybe in the long term depending on on how it works out with Chris Paul but I mean they're probably taking a step back next year and so then that leads to the interesting question of how what happened to the Warriors would affect the rationale of many of the parties involved yeah, and we'll see maybe now that the Lakers look to, to be forming a super team, we'll see how they fill that out. But that could potentially impact Houston's thinking as well. Uh, there was a report that the Lakers are interested in Jimmy Butler. We'll see whether they have the cap space to realistically sign him or not based on the timing of that deal with New Orleans, which we talked about so much on yesterday's show. Shams reporting that the Grizz are intensifying Mike Conley talks with the potential of moving him around the time of the draft. Uh, Utah was the team that Shams discussed uh, the most we talked about maybe some Conley trade conceptions when we looked ahead to their offseason well one thing I'll note on that it was an interesting around that same time Tony Jones tweeted that according to what he is hearing right now and obviously this can change in a heartbeat that Derek Favors is currently not on the table in those talks and what's what's interesting there is Favors, as a non-guaranteed player, but as, as somebody who can guarantee quickly and a talent, obviously, he seemed like a logical piece to be in those discussions. And if Utah's the front runner, so like maybe these two reports are not in conjunction with each other, but if Utah's Utah's like a front runner and they're not including Favors in the conversation, I'm very interested to see who is included. Yeah. Well, if they include Exum and they guarantee Corver, I think they can get there just by using their remaining cap space if they renounce Rubio. So that that might be the way to go or or you might include you know a Grayson Allen or Tony Bradley I think that gets you there just just eyeballing it right now on my sheet uh, without actually plugging it in in New York the Knicks have decided to exercise Alonzo Trier's 3.5 million dollar team option for next season per Ian Begley opting him in does reduce their available cap space by about 2.6 million dollars but it's looking like that's not going to matter a ton and if they needed to they could use cash or second rounders or something to open up uh, that second max slot and uh, even with Trier guaranteed they're looking at 69.8 million in space and with their KD Kyrie dreams looking like they're on life support right now probably not going to matter so you might as well go ahead and guarantee Trier there and he'll still be a restricted free agent next year albeit with a significant qualifying offer 
And then also in maybe some of the least surprising news that we've heard, Lance Thomas will be waived prior to June 30th, which is when $1 million of his $7.6 million would have guaranteed. He was uh, a sour 16, played well that year, but never really uh, was able to stay healthy after that uh, or hit the three that well. So uh, he is almost certainly going to be off their books well, going forward. So one thing I want to mention there is I, I've been asked the question a few times about who other than J.R. Smith is still grandfathered in on this, the guarantee structure, so they count at the full value, but then they could be they could be cut and at no cost. And Lance Thomas is actually one of those, but unfortunately, Lance Thomas ended up on a team that has no use for that. So I tried to, I spent like five minutes today trying to think of a way that maybe the Knicks could have traded him at the deadline, but there just aren't that many teams in that netherworld of cap and tax. Cleveland incidentally is one of them and so it was hard to kind of really think of a way that he could have provided some utility for another team just with how things turned out goran dragic has opted in to his 19 million dollar player option and another thing that we discussed in our offseason outlook for milwaukee it is now coming to fruition according to mark stein they are offering draft compensation in hopes of finding a team willing to take on tony snell or irsan Ilyasova as they are trying to create added flexibility the big issue there of course is if they want to offer brooke lopez the full mid-level and malcolm brogdon and chris middleton are going to make a lot of money then they need potentially more room under the hard cap because you get hard capped if you offer the full mid-level uh also would potentially reduce the tax burden as well Ilyasova makes exactly seven million this year and as a non-guaranteed seven million for next year snell a little thornier 11.4 million this year player option hey might pick up at uh 12.2 million next year so snell i don't think they have the ammo to do it because unless they want to go out another first round pick and remember they're out two first round picks already uh in the future they could in theory send out a 2026 first round pick after the draft Ilyasova, especially because he can still play could be more useful and they, they probably want to turn that role over to dj wilson anyway uh they've also got the 30th pick this year uh, that they could move I don't think that's enough to get off of Snell, probably, but Ilyasova, I think it probably would be if that's a, what they wanted to do. The stretch revision also potentially an option, although they are looking at some tax payments going forward, in particular uh, if Giannis does stay and sign that designated player veteran extension. Phoenix, per Shams, discussing trade packages, including the sixth pick, Josh Jackson and TJ Warren. Don't know what they're looking for there. Probably an upgrade at, at point guard, you would think. And this is really interesting out of Sacramento. James Ham reporting that Nikola Vucevic is unlikely to be pursued by the Kings. And that, to me, they were seemed like a very logical destination for him i applaud the kings for not doing it and maybe part of the reason that as ham noted is that he doesn't fit into their super up-tempo style but now the question of well where the hell else are the kings going to go with 37 million in space and then what is vucevic's market going to be without the kings involved you know the the jovan bua also reported that if the clippers strike out on the max free agents someone like vucevic who's below the max level they might go a year or two with someone like that but i think that vooch is probably looking for more so his leverage to potentially get around a max contract even as an all-star you start to wonder where that offer is coming from uh, and so maybe orlando can get him for a little bit less expensive than it might have appeared yeah i i thought bua's piece was really interesting because of the idea the clippers basically all or nothing approach and I can understand it because they theoretically could maintain that flexibility. But I also wonder, especially now that Anthony Davis is overwhelmingly unlikely to be 
truly on the market. I mean, yeah, he'll, he'll technically be a free agent in 2020, but I don't think anybody expects him to be going anywhere. Really, what they would do with that flexibility in 2020. So I'm interested. I, I thought that was fascinating, and and the idea that they they're probably not going to go after a point guard because of Shea. Not a surprise, but also notable. Something else I thought was was notable, but not necessarily all that surprising, is that Phoenix is looking into. I already said that. Oh, you did? I thought you missed. I thought I thought you hadn't gotten to that one yet. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I, I hit it quick. That's right. You're uh, you're looking for the next thing. It's it's okay. But I don't it, think we no, have. I don't think we have a next thing anymore. Uh, well, oh, so Ham also reported that the Kings will extend a qualifying offer to Willie Cauley Stein if he takes that. I think they would probably be happy. They haven't sure. ruled out bringing him back, but he Ham noted that uh, his inconsistency has been a, an issue there and. Cauley Stein's cap hold is quite large at 14 million but they can always pull that qualifying offer up until mid-July and uh Ham also mentioned DeAndre Jordan and Dwayne Dedman as possible options at, at the five DeAndre Jordan I would not consider a good fit there Dedman uh, I like a little bit more are you ready to do some quick hitters uh, on the draft is there not our full scouting reports we haven't spent as much time on these guys as we did for the seven guys that we did who are currently mocked to be i think in the top seven right now where we really you know probably spent like full days looking at them watch multiple games lots of synergy stuff this is kind of more you know maybe spend a couple hours looking at film watch one game that that's kind of the level that we're able to put in on these guys we wanted to get a little bit more of a feel especially with the draft looking somewhat fluid later on so got a couple of guys to talk about who do you want to do first Let's make the people wait for Bull Bull and do Nasir a little first. Little, I was I was really interested in in watching his film because of the unusual circumstance that he found himself in. So little to uh, a little uh, some background here. Five star recruit from Florida was top six on all the major top six in the whole country. Not like in, in all the major services. Chooses to sign for with North Carolina and just doesn't really fit in because they have all the they have lofty expectations. They were a very good team and they didn't really need somebody like him and little made a lot of young guy mistakes and Roy Williams had other players to go there so he was largely marginalized he only played 18 minutes per game had a 20 PER 55 true shooting on 25 usage and so I wanted to to watch the film with him and broadly speaking that this is not uniform I liked the film more than I anticipated you know that's really interesting that you say that and again these these scouts you can't quite hold us accountable as much. I think we're kind of more trying to put things out there uh, as what we saw and just give you a general idea of what the guy is as opposed to, all right, we think this guy is better than this guy. So opinions not as reliable, not that our opinions are that reliable as we noted when we went back and did our, our look back uh, on the last four or five drafts uh, to keep ourselves honest here. But I was expecting to actually find reasons to like him a lot. It kind of fits into what I'm thinking like, okay, highly ranked recruit, really athletic, goes to college, college basketball is stupid. So he wasn't given a, a chance to really succeed. And I actually really didn't like what I saw in film uh, from him, uh, to be honest. And I didn't think that he was put in some role where it was so hard to succeed that North Carolina plays really up-tempo. They played him at both the three and the four. They had pretty darn good shooting on that team. I mean, it was uh, they ran a lot of pro-style sets. It's about as good of a situation to me as you can be in in college basketball. And yeah, they had other guys at that position and they're trying to win. But 
I mean, I'm sure they would have loved to have played him more. He just didn't perform. And that's not saying that he can't be good, but I, what I saw in film was bad. So uh, th- it's good that we disagree here. What did you like so much? Well, I wouldn't say that I liked it so or much. So, so much. What, yeah, what did I mean, you like? How so, about that? Yeah. So I think what, what I found compelling about him, about Little, is that you could see flashes of how his athleticism could be useful in the NBA. Now, he does get into a very uncomfortable spot here. I've I've talked about this with numerous guys in the past where I don't think he's good enough defensively to be a lead, to be a lead guy. I don't, I don't think he really has enough, enough there physically kind of the, the, emotional part of it you know like you think about marcus smart as an archetype here but and i don't think he ha- has that kind of well, well that's game. interesting i i thought that playing hard was actually one of his best attributes yeah but defensively he didn't really like get into guys all the time you no. know like like no, the, there's there's a big line for me between like good defender and great defender and i absolutely think he could be good i think he could be very good but great yeah. he, is, he was asked to switch a lot though that there is yeah, some context that's true. there yeah he that, doesn't that, he doesn't have that kind of stuff yeah. but what i liked about him about little was that was kind of some of the smaller things so I think he has a functional dribble and if somebody can beat out of him that he shouldn't be doing that with the intention of taking a pull-up jumper you know that it's if, if you're going to do it it's to attack maybe an overly aggressive closeout or something like that and you're d- driving to either get an easy shot at the basket or just to force a rotation I think that Little can do that sort of stuff reasonably well yeah the the stats on his jump shot are rough he was 27% from three and but 77% from the line but mechanically I thought that it was it was okay you know like there was it wasn't something that I thought was just like broken which is yeah. a nice little step and he's I, supposedly shooting it better in workouts, Danny. Yeah, I mean, I I I don't care too much about that. And like some of the offensive rebound type stuff, you know, like he would he would get a ball that you were a little bit surprised by. And yeah, really nice second jump, really aggressive. Yeah, going going to the offensive glass. So so I think and and a piece for those who have a subscription, I would really recommend people going back. Sam Vecini, middle of the year, I think, did this kind of he called it the coaches poll. And so he talked with a bunch on the condition of anonymity. He talked with a bunch of coaches around the NCAA who had played against a certain player's prospects team and had them talk about that player. And Little was the most polarizing I've like I've seen in all of Sam's work, but also like even just in the stuff that I've heard. And really I think what it gets down to is this idea of athlete versus basketball player. So basically the people who were familiar with where Little was as a as a prospect, where it was basically just like, oh man, this guy has so much physical talent, but he has no idea how the hell to play basketball. Those people are kind of like, well look, he's made some real strides. Maybe he's a good kid apparently can keep going with that but then everybody else is like yeah but he has he's still not a good basketball player and so I, I think that I see both of those parts with him and so with little I think with where it gets down to it so you, you don't take him above all like the best guys like a lot of the guys that we've talked about but if I'm gonna roll the dice on somebody a player who's six six with a seven one wingspan even if he doesn't have like the great tools to be like a plus plus type of guy yeah I mean having there's so many teams that just don't have functional rotation depth at that spot so i see some value there yeah that's certainly the case the physical profile you mentioned and when he's out there he looks like he's a four uh in terms of just physically uh and what because he can't shoot yeah looks like he he holds up at that spot the shooting at only 26 percent from three as we mentioned it is not great and 14 of 52 so that's a now granted he's only playing 18 minutes a game so you got to normalize for that but not really a huge spot up threat and 
Now he was able to attack off the dribble more. You know, he showed some ability to shoot the ball off the dribble and the numbers weren't good, but at the lower levels, like the McDonald's game when nobody's playing any defense and you got total freedom, showed the ability to shoot some step backs. And, you know, I'm not going to say that the jumper won't come along. Obviously, that's a, but the lack of aggression shooting it and the low percentage is not amazing to me. Uh, did show some ability to handle the ball some ability to do some off the dribble moves but he's kind of he's kind of at the hitting buttons on the playstation controller stage uh, with some of his moves uh, rather than having them be reactive uh, and smooth did like the first step out of triple threat in particular but one thing that i thought is really limiting for him is he's really only a two-foot leaper and so a lot of times he would allow the defense to rotate over because he's jumping off at two feet and i thought his finishing was really disappointing 56 out of 100 at the rim in the half court some of that was off of some of these offensive rebound tips which aren't as high percentage but he got his shot blocked a lot and if you're talking about this type of a player who has not demonstrated good shooting yet you want this guy to be like a really awesome finisher and i really you know pretty much nothing in terms of touch finish he had like one euro step in transition with the left-handed layup but his left hand is not great doesn't get amazing extension either he's able to pick the ball up early and get some long strides to the rim at times but again he's not explosive off of one foot the way he is off of two um and you know i don't see him necessarily he's got a long long way to go to be a potential pick and roll threat not really much of a post game he got in there a couple of times i had a couple of decent looking hook shots but you know how many nba teams are going to post up wings very often more than one or two possessions a game probably not going to happen unless you're just really a dominant guy with the ball uh so you know the offensive package is going to be relying on, on the three-pointer and yeah i really like that he's athletic that he plays hard that he provides some value added there and i think he can get there as far as his defense uh, being you know one of the best guys he does allow penetration a little bit more but he stays in the play competes able to bother the shot from behind got some shot blocks from behind he's not really like great help instincts great hands you know he doesn't have that kind of shark like mentality he plays hard but he's not just like you know popping up in areas you don't expect and getting steals and so yeah, he does very little out of area stuff which yeah. is it's not surprising and so a parallel between little and bowl is that for both of them when they're in the right place i think they do a nice job but they're not in the right place as much as i would like and so with little he's behind the play he's a little bit late you know that sort of stuff and maybe increase reps basketball iq type stuff can can help that because he has the physical tools but again i think that's when i talked about the line between a good defender and a great defender being being both a reactor and a little bit late is a really hard combination to handle and so that's why i'm i'm skeptical of that threshold because that's all even though he's only 19 that's a lot of improvement to make over let's say the next four to five years yeah i mean he reminds me a little bit of like a more athletic stanley johnson Although I would actually say that Stanley might have had a little bit more in terms of ball skills at this stage. Stanley, of course, shot 38% on threes, but uh, say he hasn't been able to replicate that in the NBA and was more of a non-shooter earlier in his career. But yeah, so I, I mean, I'm not thinking of Little as a guy that I'm like really excited about. Certainly someone that you can take who has some athleticism, who, you know, there is a path for him to be sure. But as far as star potential, I'm very skeptical. And, you know, he could very easily just wash out because he can't shoot the ball. And and that's going to be the swing skill for him. It's going to be tough to play him uh, unless he really improves uh, that catch and shoot. And I just, I also worry about his lack of feel. I mean, you know, he would like get three pointers blocked. You know, like there's just a, a lot of plays where, you know, he just didn't quite have the awareness. 
that you'd be looking for. Are you ready to move on to Bull? Yeah, I think the place to start with him is with the physical characteristics. 7-2 with a 7-7 wingspan. Both of those are similar to Rudy Gobert when Gobert was drafted. However, Bull is 30 pounds lighter than Gobert was. And my first note from from his stuff was just in all, all caps, he is so thin. And that to me really matters. And like he is he's at the point, and we've seen a few guys like this, where even if he puts on weight, I worry that it's he's still gonna be so light in the shorts that there's a group of fives that are just gonna eat him alive. Yeah, I, I think that's true. He has a really high waist as well, so it's hard for him to get low, get below. Uh, the defense uh, struggles to hold his position on the block. He can get ducked in. That can look really bad. Uh, he's apparently, he played this year at 230, and now he's down to 210 because he's also coming off, only played nine games at Oregon, a non-displaced fracture of the navicular bone in his left foot. That's not fantastic, but he's back to working out his pro day. He looked fine in terms of movement. It did look, of course, very thin. Then, I mean, they had him in like a t-shirt and pants. Uh, which is <laughs> the, the pants to play basketball is just a, it's never uh, never a great sign to me that might be a personal aesthetic preference I, I'm not actually putting any stock in that but I mean you could kind of see how painfully thin he was and then but he was extremely productive nonetheless you know nine games 13 of 25 on threes 76 percent from the foul line I mean this shooting is absolutely for real he shot 44 percent uh in draft express's database and 63 percent true shooting 21 points 9.6 rebounds in just 28 minutes a game 13 percent two-point block rate uh, as well so i mean he was really really productive i think he had the second highest per of any prospect outside of zion there's a lot of raw talent there his natural touch around the basket is outstanding he can dunk it from some crazy angles he can get along the baseline and he's more mobile especially in a straight line or backpedaling than you you might expect we didn't really see him sit down in a stance and slide with guys but i thought for what little we were able to see of him in some pick and roll situations i thought he actually had decent feel there he's able to backpedal keep the ball in front of him and i think he can actually be a pretty good conventional pick and roll defender in drop coverage with maybe a little bit more mobility than that that type might seen yeah and he did did some stuff with short choppy steps which you you like to see with somebody like like you know like there were there were little signs that he would be able to do more there yeah and i thought in i mean the one full game i was able to watch was the houston game and i thought he actually you know his reputation is that he doesn't play hard and there's certainly some big time low lights like if you watch that uh schmitz's video on him for example i mean there are times where he just looks totally disengaged and he gets ducked in and he gets thrown around or he's really casual with the ball offensively and when it's bad for him it can look really bad now i think maybe part of that is just because he's just so noticeable and so skinny like when it looks bad for him it almost seems worse because it's like oh this guy should be dominating he's 7-2 um I mean, what did you think of his awareness uh, on the defensive end uh, as a help defender i didn't love it most of the time i thought that he was a little bit late not as many out of area plays as i would have liked for especially for a guy just with his crazy length like he, he can even react late and get there because he's 
so damn long. And I, so when I was watching the film, I thought that some of his like late kind of shitty contests were more about reaction than about effort. Schmitz is in his video put, I mean, he did mention some of the basketball Hugh stuff, but he thought of it more as a, like a motor effort thing. I think it's a little bit of both, but I mean, considering he has good feel and all these other things. Also, I think he, he didn't, he only had nine assists the whole season, but he had some, you know, some nice passing vision, all that type of stuff. It seems to me like that should be better than the, than the, than some of the film indicated just because, you know, it's kind of all these correlated factors and a lot of the other ones were more positive than that one was. Yeah. I mean, you know, you mentioned he only had eight assists, so, so it wasn't, wasn't too sexy uh, in terms of, of passing. I mean, he, he also, he's kind of Thon Maker-like back, you know, in the Thon Maker mixtape days where he's got this skill level, but you know sorry like you're pretty thin you're not explosive you're and he's got these long strides but he tries to like face guys up and put it on the floor one-on-one and he's just not fast enough to do that i mean even though he even if he can shoot off the dribble one or two dribbles pretty well he's not fast enough to blow by his man he just if he does get past he just goes right into traffic and it's just you know his arms are too long he's stripped easily his his legs are too long he can't really change it's just like all right you got to just get rid of this you know okay if you're going to against nba spacing pump fake a guy and go right to the basket and you have no one in front of you okay then i I think maybe uh, his drive game could work all right there you know again he shows a great skill level he's got like a little bit of a floater game a hook shot uh some ability even to step around guys a little bit when facing the basket in the skill level is as high probably as you'll see from a 7-2 guy you know i I mean it's kind of ralph sampson-esque uh except if sampson shot nba threes just fine and shoots fly by threes off the dribble just fine uh it's really like the shooting ability is really outstanding other than this low release off his shoulder which can be bothered a little bit more uh than you might prefer uh but uh it's uh i mean and then the shot blocking can be just absolutely spectacular i mean he really just gets guys out of nowhere you know not a lot of verticality but again if you can teach him that it can look really good and so I think I'm probably going to be hiring him on most of the people, assuming that the health aspect works out. Just because, I mean, the guy is like a dominating shot blocker and you shoot like like crazy from outside and, you know, it has like a pretty decent skill level and he's not incredibly slow feet. Like, yeah, he's got a lot of flaws and he can get pushed around and that aspect can look pretty ugly. And, you know, if he's got a guard, Carl Anthony Towns in the post or something, it's probably not going to look great. Like, he's got a lot of weaknesses, but man, those strengths are really strong. And especially for a team with multiple picks, you you know hawks and celtics i'm looking at you guys he's currently mocked at number 20 right now i i mean even if he only has a 10 percent chance of working out he should go higher than 20 to me because it's just it's again it's to be so weird and he's going to piss coaches off because he just doesn't really seem that tough and he has these flaws and it can look really bad with him but i mean i'm sorry like the guy's capable of some spectacular shit like it's you just you got to take the chance on it even if the odds are it's probably not going to work out you know and so it, this is this is like what sam hinky was talking talking about it in the draft sometimes it's just like all right t- take your shot and maybe it works out i don't think anyone really can say no for sure it's not going to work out when he has these pluses that can look really really good uh despite the fact that he looks you know so thin and so awkward out there he's not going to put on any weight you know maybe he could get up to 230 240 if he's lucky but he's not going to be strong it's going to be an issue for him his whole career and maybe that'll be a huge problem but i mean a guy who can sh- block shots like he can and move his feet and shoot threes on the other end and and finish okay around the rim i mean that's you got to give some some more respect to that than i think he's getting even if you know i probably didn't the more i watched him i probably would have started to feel worse because of like all the effort stuff but i mean yeah I, i've been rambling here but what do you think of that am i 
too high on him even you know to, to talk about him the way I am so I think offensively you're relatively close there I mean especially if you can sand out some of the overly aggressive with the ball in his hand stuff you know as you, you, you said the thon makery type thing like he's not a Kevin Durant level athlete where you know like yeah he's super tall but he can get to his spots and all that no this ball bull's not going to be that in the NBA but you know grabbing and going sure if you can if you can constrain it make sure that he you know like once he gets pressured makes the right decision doesn't try to like do a euro step around a guy and shoot a pull up or something crazy like that you'd know, be fine i'm significantly more concerned about him defensively than it sounds like you are and part of that is well, yeah the, yeah yeah i, I want to hear why this is i mean i think it, other than the defensive glass and post-ups i think he could be fine i think that he the, the jump that that bull was going to see in terms of strength and athleticism not only just at the center spot but really like i mean guards are way stronger in the nba than they are in college and wings and all that type of stuff like he can get pushed off his spot so easily and I think that's a real concern defensively like on the glass he ended up with these really high numbers 29% defensive rebound percentage is, is great but I he, he just what when when you like when I watch some of them like you would just see him get beasted in a way that you don't usually see a guy with that kind of a rebound rate and he played nine games in college none of those were like that that I saw were, were against guys where I'm just like oh man that's definitely like an NBA caliber athlete type of stuff and the center position is you know like it's changing but what what we've seen is that there's this group of guys that are good enough, you know, kind of good enough on one end and then make it work. And I think Bull is going to struggle against all of them, you know, like with Towns and like Vooch, like what the hell is he going to do against Vooch? And yeah, or, or, or Nurkic. Like, or all, like there, there, there's so many, there's so many genres of big men that he's going to have big time trouble with. And I, I think that, you know, like he'll be able to handle like the more limited type of guards. Like I, I agree with you that there's the switch potential that type of stuff but well i, I didn't say there was switch potential no I like, thought, like, I like no could... like like the hedge hedge and recover type stuff more more in that in that realm not not, not even that necessarily maybe more just like you know uh, up to the level of the ball but traditional pick and roll defense okay. and then retreating i, I think he's he's just to be clear he's he's i think he's good at you know getting up there enough to at least be in the the ball handler's line of vision and then retreat back to prevent the pass to the roll man. Yeah, so like that's more what I'm try to prevent about. the shot then prevent the pass. That type of type, that type of stuff. And yeah, I mean I don't I don't know if he's going to be able to hold we didn't we just didn't see it really at all of him trying to defend one on one but my right. and, and Oregon my suspicion be- is it won't be good. Oregon switched between a man and a zone a bunch so like even and he played nine nine games. He played 270 minutes basically. So I I'm more skeptical there just with we, we thought that it might the center position might just go to a bunch of fours playing the five and it's not quite that and i think he'll he'll have trouble there and but the i agree with you though that the offense potential is there and something that that concerns me with with him offensively and, and this might just be a luxury and i might be i might be thinking too far here is that we talk about this a lot with uh shooters that what happens if you just put a smaller guy on them and i don't know what he bull has in his game to make me think like if you just put like for whatever reason if he's doing well you just put a four on him that you do it and you could say oh well that's that's a really nice problem to have because where the hell are you going to put your five that's true but it's a little bit concerning to me that i think there are there are too many too many guys that i think he'll struggle with and then there are some pretty basic counters other than the fact that if he can just get that guy away from the basket which is a significant strength yeah and i think i'd be very interested to see what he looks like actually rolling to the rim you know we didn't see that uh, that much but he can actually like his speed in a straight line can look good and 
a big determination for him is just what kind of shape is he going to be able to get into right is he going to be able to fight guys to the extent that he can is he going to be able to beat guys down the floor uh but you know i mean even if you think of him as this right like let's say he's like the evolutionary sean bradley right who, who was a punching bag for a long time but that guy still blocked a ton of shots and he, he didn't shoot threes but let's say it's like a sean Bla- bradley who shoots threes i mean you know if you're talking about like the number 10 overall pick that's still not terrible i mean it just again with what these picks normally end up being and I, i'm fascinated to see what he, he could just be a complete bust i fully acknowledge that but uh or he could just be you know coaches just can't deal with him and, and there's going to be plays like he's going to be one of these guys where it's like okay the coach is just going to be throwing up in his mouth on some of these plays when you know he gets pushed under the rim and somebody gets starts playing volleyball on the offensive glass a few times or you know he gets posted up right under the rim for a layup by Yusuf Nurkic or something like that but you know maybe he also blocks four shots and hits a couple of threes on the other end and so you know it's going to be feast or famine with him in a lot of ways but I I think it's fascinating I'm definitely you know higher on him than I think at least some people are uh and it's really too bad for him that he's just not more of a normal center body type because then people would be talking about him going number one i mean the, like this the touch that he has is crazy for his size and some of the blocks that he get are, are completely insane as well uh you know I, you don't really i haven't read much in terms of like what his mentality is supposed to be uh so i think some of what is being discussed at reading between the lines that people don't think it's amazing so that that's certainly a concern also all right anything else here or, or should we wrap it up uh nothing else on bowl so i'll just mention uh again now that it's actually out the real gym radio with jared weiss was really fun we went into a bunch of different conversation we talked we got the background on the kemba walker story which was pretty cool uh, my anthony davis breakdown is at the athletic and then i have three more off-season previews i'm hoping that all three of the that's the warriors the raptors and the hawks i'm hoping hoping that all three of those will be out before the draft so you can keep an eye out i'm guessing they'll publish tuesday wednesday thursday in an order to be determined by the athletics editorial staff all right we'll be back tomorrow hoping to have a guest on we'll see if if we can corral him and we're gonna try and do a few more of these little mini preview things here uh for wednesday night and then uh thursday's the draft quite early this year but i can't wait for that and we will be bringing you the coverage all week long till then At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.